Welcome to the Law Firm Growth Podcast, where we share the latest tips, tactics, and strategies for scaling your practice from the top experts in the world of growing law firms. Are you ready to take your practice to the next level? Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Jan Roos, and I am here with a very exciting guest in Stephanie Novinskis. So Stephanie is the founder of Sizzle Force and has a really, really interesting background. I'm very excited to get in with her over the next hour. But Stephanie, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much. Great to be here. So we were talking a little bit on the preamble and, um, you know, any listeners will probably know that I'm traditionally a direct response guy, but, you know, the brand marketing is more powerful. And I feel like the longer I go in uh, my role as a marketing, the more of an appreciation I get for it. So super excited to talk with a brand expert today. I'm curious, like, how'd you all get into the situation of doing branding as your main thing? Like to tell us this, the origin story. It all started... <laughs> Back in 1995, I graduated from school with a degree in journalism, and the original intent was to go into editorial and reporting. Mm. Well, one thing led to another, and instead, three weeks later, I found myself sitting at the copywriting desk for a very popular newspaper where I live. And this is pre-internet, so it dates me a wee bit, but at the time, it was the hot newspaper that everybody would read to find out what they were doing on Friday night. Mm. And um, started out doing copywriting there, and as my career progressed, jumped from you know small media to big media, whatnot. And along the way, had the opportunity to work with a lot of very big household brand names and learn a lot about branding from them. And as a result of those experiences, just really developed a love for uh, how I can persuade and shape decisions. And in 2009, started my company, Sizzle Force Marketing, and here we are. Yeah, that's awesome. And then I was just kind of looking at your, your sheet before this, like some of these brands that you've worked with are, you know, absolute powerhouses. Like we're talking like Starbucks, Quicksilver, the the NFL. <laughs> and it's it's kind of awesome to see this. So, you know, when you think about working with smaller clients, what do you think are the big lessons that people can learn from these big brands? You know, I think so many of the lessons are applicable across the board, really. The best brands in the world, the biggest brands in the world, they all do the same thing. They impact people with their messaging, right? They say something that matters, that moves people, that uh, creates some sort of emotional response. And that is why they grow to be so big. And any business, small, one-man legal shop to, you know, a big firm to the NFL, right? There's a story for every company. And uh, sharing that story and really sharing messaging that, that uh, gets to the emotions is how it's done. So I know right now, I've got some attorneys that are listening to this and thinking, oh my God, emotions, that sounds really <laughs> risky. <laughs> and if you probably have seen uh, you know, the strength of brand that you'll see from most uh, law firms, you can probably guess that the taking risks isn't something you're super into. So um, let's talk about that a little bit. Like, How do you consider people who might be a little bit fearful for taking risks in a brand? Like, How would you encourage people to step a little bit outside of the box? Yeah, well, one thing that I think is really important to address specifically in the legal industry is how important it is to differentiate your firm from every other firm that's out there. If I just take, a, I live in California, if I drive down I-5, I'm going to see a bajillion billboards 
And every attorney billboard I'm going to see, almost every single one of them, is going to be some attorney with their, you know, mean face on standing in front of a bookshelf with a whole bunch of legal books behind them that says something like, injured, call so-and-so at this number, right? We'll, we'll make sure you, you win your case, something like that. All of the ads look the same. Okay. And so you have to be willing to take a risk. Even if I know the word sounds scary and maybe even in the legal field, you might even feel risk averse, but it's kind of like, like a court case. If you don't take a risk and say something that matters, right, you're not going to win the case. So you have to be willing to take risks. And there are some companies, well, I would say that the most memorable companies in the world all do take risks. So you have to decide, do you want to look like everyone else? Do you want to blend in with the noise? Or do you want to differentiate, stand out, get noticed, and really build a brand that people remember and talk about and ultimately give their money to? Yeah, and I'll add another dimension to this too. So it's kind of funny. Every place that I've lived since I ended up starting in the legal space, there's been some kind of a brand that's had some number that relates to the number eight. And like, it's kind of funny that like you mentioned just like the injured stuff. Up, it's it's really interesting because it's like I feel like we have this situation where I'll definitely co-science like you know as, as far as you know listeners you guys can probably attest to this I think people enter the field of law because it's a career that is itself you know kind of blue chip it's pretty stable and there's kind of a commonality in, in like the risk averseness and you know I found from a marketing perspective it's very tough a lot of people want to be like oh, okay cool who's this worked for they don't want to be the first mover in a lot of these things but I will challenge that if somebody has that as their situation you're essentially getting getting into a spending contest. And it's like, you know, you don't want to be up against the Morgan and Morgans of the world's, you know, the 5 billion plus advertisers, because if you're competing with the same message against somebody who's better, you know, healed than you, then how are you going to win that? So it's like, I guess, like, if you have like the right brand, it's, it can almost create leverage on that, that same advertising spend, right? Yeah, absolutely. That, you know, I think Steve Jobs said it best. If you want to build a powerful brand, you have to think different, right? And, you know, I think about one, there's one attorney here in San Diego where I live and his name, I might butcher the pronunciation of his first name. I think it's Antonian, uh, last name Miranda. And his website is expertdivorcelaw.com. He is one of the billion attorneys that has billboards all over the freeway. However, his billboards are so shocking. And so like to the point where you're either going to be driving and you're going to start laughing, you know, it might not even be super safe because you'll be like, you know, I mean, your eye might be on the billboard, but he does these billboards. They're pretty hilarious. Like he has one, he takes some risks. He has one where it's a picture of a woman's finger and she's holding up her ring finger, but only her ring finger. And so at first glance, you think that somebody is making a different gesture with their hand. I get what you're saying. Right? And, but she's holding up her ring finger and then it just says his name and expertdivorcelaw.com, right? So it, it's like, it's like, what, what, what is that? Oh my gosh, right? And he has another one where it's a picture of a wedding cake with, you know, the little plastic figurines at the top of a wedding cake with the bride and the groom. And, but in this, it's the bride pushing the groom off of the cake, right? And again, yeah. it says for better or for worse. And it has a check mark next to for worse. And then it says expertdivorcelaw.com. You know, it's a very serious and sad issue, obviously, but he is taking the risk of making it relatable, kind of funny, 
and really, really causing a stir down here. Yeah, that's fantastic. And the other thing too, yeah, no, it's usually you know a lot of the the divorce thing. It's I feel like if there's anything that's tripling down and how tough you are, that's kind of like the the stock message for a lot of that stuff. But you know, yeah. I'll point out too, like not only is that something that's getting people's attention, it's something that you know you were able to remember two examples and probably just you know having driven by them a bunch of times too. Like, well, and here's the funny thing is I'm the biggest anti-divorce person on the planet. <laughs> Like, yeah, yeah. Marriage is for life. So I am absolutely not his target market, but I, I remember his ads. Yeah, that's super interesting. And now for somebody who's kind of thinking about it, what are the first steps that you recommend somebody take? And, you know, I'd say just kind of thinking about the listeners here, I'm not going to accuse everyone of being bland. I'm sure there's, you know, and I know I've spoken to people who have fantastic brands, but if somebody is not super confident on how much they're standing out in the market, what do you recommend for people to start finding their voice? Yeah, well, I think it all starts with understanding who your ideal client is, right? So, you know, a lot of times people will do very surface level exercises and think that they've done enough. For example, they might say, you know, let's say you are an attorney that uh, that does family law, right? You might say, well, my my ideal client is somebody who is going through a divorce or going through some sort of custody battle or something like that, right? There's so much more to that story of who this person is, right? How old are they? Where do they live? What kind of issues have they faced? What kind of things have they been told before that um, maybe they were led to believe something was true that really wasn't true that ended up hurting them? What are they skeptical about? What are their objections, right? Why, why are the reasons that they might look at... Uh, your competition instead of you. You need to get down to the nitty gritty and really, really understand who your audience is and what motivates and drives their behavior in order to create a message that will stand out. Okay, so that's the first step is really, really, really get to know your ideal client practically better than they know themselves. We have an exercise that we work with our clients on to do this. You know, often people will say to me, oh, we've done the ideal client thing. And I'll say, great, send it over to me. Let me look. If you've done it, then we don't need to do any more work. I have never to date found one that was done with the level of thoroughness that really is going to be the foundation of excellent messaging. Okay. So like I said, a lot of people just do these kind of periphery exercises and think it's enough, but it's not. You've got to really, really know what makes people tick. The next step I would say is really, under, you know, having a very, very thorough understanding of your competition. Okay. People have choices. We all know they do. And so if you don't know what your competitors are sharing in the marketplace, how can you possibly differentiate yourself? right? So you need to know who your competitors are. You need to know what they're saying to your prospects. And then you need to figure out, well, how am I different? And how am I going to be more appealing to the right ideal clients and create messaging that way? Those are the first two steps. And those are real powerful. Yeah, it's interesting too. I think I'm starting to pick up the copywriter background too, because that's like such an important part of whenever you know people are writing sales letters or old school ads and the same thing. So it's almost like if you have that master key, there's a lot that you can do with that from a from a marketing perspective. And interesting data point as well that it's 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 very rare to find people who have done it thoroughly because it's like you know you can see some of this stuff in you know rinky dink ham and eggs exercises that you get in like you know a one on one level marketing textbook, but like the, to get to the point where you're able to stand up against other brands you might have to get a little bit more, more deeper into it, right? Okay, 
And I want to transition to because this is something that I was uh, was thinking about too. So for people that don't necessarily have competitors in a given medium, so I'll throw out this as an example. You know, we actually work with a lot of estate planning attorneys on a day to day basis. I don't know if I've ever seen an estate planning billboard. If you were the first mover into a particular medium, how would the messaging change? Or like, would you get more options, or what would you recommend to somebody who's kind of the first person to show up and brand for for a given service? Well, it's funny you say that because before we jumped on this uh, session to record this podcast, I actually was looking at an estate planning attorney's website. Oh, interesting. So that's kind of interesting. So the question was, how do you differentiate when you're the first in the space? Yeah, like what would you do if, what, how do recommendations change for somebody who'd be the first person to, like we use billboards as a medium, but like, you know, the other thing too, it's just like, you know, state plan trainings, a lot of those guys will do direct mail. So if you want to do direct mail for a different practice area, the first person to kind of really get a crack at a market. Yeah, I would say, you know, the, what is it that's saying? Like the, the world is your oyster. <laughs> you can, you know, you really have free license to do anything you want. I My advice would be, well, what's your brand personality? And who are you trying to attract, right? So, you know, do you want to show up? Of course, every attorney needs to show up professionally. Of course, every attorney needs to show up like we're going to fight until we win, right? But how do you want to show up outside of that? Do you want to show up in a way that is going to be, you know, are you going to talk about everyday situations and make them relatable and have a little fun with your uh, marketing messages? Or are you going to be more of the straight and narrow buttoned up style? right? You have to decide how you want to appear to the marketplace. And once you've decided what your brand personality is going to be, then you go from there in, in how you actually craft your messaging. So essentially somebody who's the first entrant to a market has all the options that they want as far as doing that, which is, okay, so that's super cool. And then as far as let's talk more about this brand personality thing, because, you know, even within the, you know, somewhat narrow view of like the brand personality as part of the brand, you also want to take consideration to your competitors are doing. And like, you know, that's kind of a, a thing that you see almost to the point where, you know, we're saying earlier, it's like, hey, we're tough on the opposition or, hey, we're trustworthy or, hey, we're expert or whatever. You know, you wouldn't necessarily want to hop in a pool having the same brand personality as other people that are direct competitors, right? Right. No, you want to be different. You definitely want to be different. Different is different is where the money is. That's a soundbite I think uh, I hope the listeners take to the bank because I definitely agree with that one. Okay. And another well, thing I, I want- think about, you know, you, an example, okay? Let's talk about um, traditionally a very, very boring industry is insurance, right? I, I don't think there's much that's much more boring to talk about other than insurance. Okay. For years and years and years, it was like, you know, you need to get this insurance to protect your home, to protect your car, to protect your health, whatever it is. And it was all the same stuff. And then Geico came into the scene and they started talking about cavemen, right? And they had geckos, right? And then Allstate came into the scene and they, you know, they have, they personified ma'am. And they have created these crazy viral campaigns that are so funny and so relatable. You know, I was watching one earlier today, actually, and it's one that probably a lot of your listeners have seen where he is personifying the um, navigation system in your car, right? And telling you at the very last second, you know, and then he does this little evil laugh. 
but he's having so much fun. He's taking a very serious issue of driving safely in your car and making it into something that we can all relate to with, you know, the GPS giving us last minute directions and whatnot, right? So I think that we all have an opportunity. You don't want to do the same thing as your competitors. You want to do something that stands out. Have some fun. Loosen up a little bit. Yeah, because I can imagine like if there was just, you know, a buy the book commercial about, uh, you know, the merits of a certain insurance plan for whatever, I mean, even if it makes a lot of sense, no one's going to remember that no one's going to talk about that. And you also start talking about things like, you know, the virality of what a, what a message is and that kind of stuff. So um, I also want to ask something too, because I know that this is something that um, you're a fan of. So how do you pick a smaller market and double your revenues? Let's talk about niching for a little bit. How do you guys like to think about that in terms of when people are going after things? How do you pick a niche is the question? Or yeah, just how, what are your thoughts? on niching down as a whole because it's like i'll give you a little context so it's like you know you're, you're probably least niche attorneys that you'll run into your general practice guys and then some people are like oh i only do personal injury stuff that's my niche and probably isn't or you know like the divorce is the example so a lot of people are hesitant to first you know say no to potential clients but you know from second they might want to realize you know how tight do i really want to drill this down so what are your thoughts on how to select those how to make those decisions around niching and what people can expect when they do it yeah. I, okay. Well, there's a saying the riches are in the niches for a reason, right? The riches are in the niches. And the reason why is because when you do niche successfully, you become an absolute specialist and people pay more for specialists, right? So you think about it, like if you have a heart condition, right? Are you going to go see your general practitioner and ask your general practitioner to do, or your family a practice doctor to do surgery on your heart? No, you're not. You're going to go find a cardiologist, right? It's a specialist, right? So something, I, I know it can be scary for people to niche. I know that can be scary, especially when you're early in on building your practice, because you're like, gosh, I don't want to say no to this business. And by the way, I do have a law degree and I can do all of these different things. And if I can't do it, I have a network of other lawyers that can do it, that can work under my umbrella and so on and so forth, right? But the more general you are, the more forgettable you are. You have to pick a niche. And, and how do you pick the niche? I think a lot of it has to do with, well, first of all, where's where is the marketplace need, right? In your experience, when you survey the marketplace and you look at the needs that your ideal clients have, what market is not being served well, okay? What are you an expert in where you know, well, this part of the market is not being served well and I'm an expert in this and I can fix this problem, right? Also, you know, what's sustainable financially, right? What portion of the market has the means to afford your services, right? Not just they know they need them, but they know they need them and they have the money to pay for them. I think also it's what type of work do you enjoy doing, right? I mean, if you're going to work 40 plus hours a week, I mean, a lot of lawyers, what, 80, 100 hours a week, you know, if you're going to work like a dog, well, you better be having a pretty good time doing it. Otherwise, what are you doing with your life? right? So pick something that you enjoy. What legal problems do you enjoy solving for people? What are you really good at? When you're operating in your genius zone, what are you doing? And typically, if you can get answers to those questions, 
revealing your niche is really quite easy. Yeah. And like, I was going to make a joke. It's like, you know, if you had a, you were making fantastic hourly money, like, you know, uh, drowning kittens or something, like you'd have to make a real choice on whether that's a, a campaign you'd want to be successful. And I can also imagine too, like if something's a little bit more aligned with what somebody enjoys doing every day, it's probably going to be downhill when it comes to creating content and getting yourself up in front of coming up with cool ideas and that kind of thing. Right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, when you love what you're doing, your passion is contagious. People can sense it. Right. I mean, it's like it's like a sixth sense that people have. You're not passionate about it. If you don't absolutely love it, you sound boring. You sound disinterested and therefore you sound uh, unattractive to the prospect. Right. So when you can show up to a call and be like, oh, my gosh, I love it when I get to do this. Oh, this is so good. Oh, I know exactly the strategy we're going to take care of. Or, oh, my gosh, I got to tell you about a situation, a, a case that I just won for so-and-so that reminds me of you. Stuff like that. People are like, oh, you're like into this. Like this is, you geek out on this stuff. Great. That's what I'm looking for. I want someone who geeks out on this and is going to, you know, take me all the way home. Yeah. It's kind of interesting because I've been having a lot of similar conversations with, you know, some attorneys in our programs, just from a sales perspective, just kind of like the importance of the nonverbal stuff. And like, it's true in ads too. Like sometimes you just see, especially, you know, it's, it's super hard to hide on like stuff like video, especially. And you can tell when somebody's like, you know, reading a script, like they've got a gun pointed at them off screen. And then there's other people that they just hop off the screen because it's, you know, you can tell that they really like what they're doing. And like, you know, if you think your prospects can't tell that they can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, they can. Yeah, we see this too sometimes with um, you know, when we have our, some of our clients record ads, it's like we have some situations where we've had absolutely you know gangbusters results, and like a lot of the times too, it's just like there's. I feel like everyone has a little bit of star power that they can tap into, just but it, it comes from being aligned with what you really, really want to do. And yeah. if you can find what that is for you, it's, I mean, not only is it going to make your advertising more compelling, but I mean, I'd imagine it makes it easier to get in front of the camera in the first place, right? I think there's probably a lot of connection between those couple of things. Yeah, getting in front of the camera or doing any kind of marketing at all, right? E even a consultation call, right? Having a consultation call so people can hear your excitement and your passion in your voice. They can see it in your body language. You know, it's it's so much more than just about the words that come out of your mouth. It's how you show up. It's how you communicate. It's the inflections in your voice. It's the word choices in your messaging. It's, you know, with video, it's everything from, you know, are you smiling or do you look like you're like, you'd rather stick forks in your eyes right now, you know, like all of the <laughs> matters. And when you're doing something you love and you're passionate about, you're going to show up authentically. You're going to show up passionately. You're going to show up so much more persuasively. And, you know, she who persuades the best is she who wins. Yeah, 100%. And this is kind of one of those things too. We've had podcasts on this kind of a general trend with certain things that I call like a U-shaped enthusiasm thing. There's a lot of people who talk about this stuff that are doing extremely well. There's a lot of people who talk about this stuff because they know other people are talking about it really well. And there's people in the middle who say, I don't really care. It's just showing up and doing the work. But it's kind of interesting because the people in the middle are not usually the ones having outside success. So I always think it's worth paying attention to these things because if it's good enough for the, the biggest brands, it's it's something you really should be thinking about, in my opinion. So um, no, that's been fantastic. Now, I want to switch gears to something a little bit more dry, and that's website conversion rate optimization. So how can we take these principles and add it to a website with the hopes that somebody's going to convert? Yeah, the most important 
important thing I can tell you for your website is that at the very top of your homepage, you need to have a value proposition that stops people in their tracks. You need to say something that makes them immediately within, you know, half a second of being on your homepage say, oh yeah, I'm in the right place. I should keep reading, right? Most people don't do that. Most people do not do that. In fact, a lot of in the legal industry specifically, you know, a lot of them is just a lot of clutter, a lot of clutter, a lot of um, words that you see over and over again that really don't resonate, things that, that don't land with anybody. So um, when it comes to convergence, first thing first, get that value proposition at the very top of your website that stops them in their tracks and lets them know they're in the right place. Then make it so easy for them to take the next step that you want them to take, okay? If you want them to book a consultation call with you, have a button that tells them how to do that. If you want them to call your office, have a button with a, you know, a click to call feature so they can literally put their mouse on it and the computer dials the number, right? Or the phone, if that's what, if they're looking on a mobile device, right? Make sure that you have call to action buttons uh, throughout your website because people need to be led, especially if they're dealing with something that may be emotionally trying, right? So, but, you know, let me speak to maybe somebody who is dealing with the estate, uh, a lost loved one right? I, I don't really know how that works with attorneys, but you know, if somebody is grieving that, or, you know, maybe somebody needs help writing a last will and testament, or maybe someone's going through a divorce or something that's hard in life, those people need to be led more than anybody else, right? They're fragile. They're fragile. So you need to take care of them and you need to make it really, really easy for them to know, okay, this is what you need to know. And this is what you need to do. And if you just do this one, thing. We'll take it from there. We've got you. We're going to take care of you. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I'll, I'll say there's kind of two things. Like one, it's like, I also think in the same way, it takes a lot of bravery to be unique in a market. I think it takes some bravery to really settle what you want somebody landing on your website to do. And getting that call to action front and center is, you know, it's it's a decision at the end of the day, which a lot of people are afraid to make. And the second thing I'll say is that like, you know, if, if you know, we have a variety of different practice area attorneys that, that listen to this podcast, I'll say like, there's definitely some practice areas that are like, you can imagine like the person I would say for, you know, an example would be like somebody who's on the cusp of filing for bankruptcy or somebody who's on the cusp of initiating a divorce. Like if there's any friction in that process, they're not going to pull the trigger on that. But I would say if you, so you absolutely need it for a practice or like that. But at the same time, I don't think you can go too directly with people. Even if they have, people have these hair on fire practice areas, like personal injury, for example, that's not something that people can walk away from. You don't see those guys pulling any punches. <laughs> you know, I think on some level it's because they've had to stop screwing around because the amount of money that gets to compete in a space like that. But yeah, like, you know, you can be that forward. People aren't going to be mad at you for helping them reach the outcome they came to your site in the first place for, right? They're not only going to not be mad. They're going to be delighted. They're going to feel taken care of. They're going to feel catered to, right? I mean, let's put a different spin on this, okay? Let's think about if you go on vacation and you check into a hotel and uh, let's say you check into a, a budget hotel, okay? And they say, well, here's your room key, doors lock at 11. So make sure you have your key if you want to get back inside. Uh, your room is down the hall and to the right. Versus if you check into a luxury hotel, oh, 
hello, Mr. So-and-so. We're so glad you're here. Here's this key. By the way, we made an appointment for you at the spa later today, and we have dinner reservations set aside for you as well. When you get to your room, so-and-so is going to be bringing your luggage up for you, and um, we have a complimentary bottle of wine uh, for you to enjoy in the room this evening as well. Please let us know how we can serve you, okay? A totally drastically different experiences. It's the same sort of thing on your website, right? Somebody can come to your website and be like, uh, okay, I can see they do the service I need, but what do I do? Okay. That's kind of like the budget motel that's like, yeah, your room's down the hall and to the right. Good luck finding it. Versus the concierge level of here's a bottle of wine and we've made an appointment at the spa for you. You're taking care of me. I feel taken care of. I want to give my money to people that make me feel taken care of. Yeah, that's fantastic. Curate that experience, guys. Think about it. <laughs> okay, so um, Sally, this has been an awesome conversation, but we're reaching the end of our time and I don't want to keep you too late. So for people who are really enjoying this, what's the best place to get in your world? Yeah, you know, I would love to talk with anyone who's interested in really learning how to differentiate their firm. And uh, you can schedule an appointment with me if you go to my website, sizzleforce.com forward slash schedule. Okay, fantastic. And uh, true to form, Seth, <laughs> for providing the single call to action. I love it. All right. Well, this has been an awesome conversation, guys. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. So um, really, thanks again so much for coming on the show, Stephanie. And then for everybody else, I will see you guys next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Eastern on the Law Firm Growth Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. For show notes, free resources, and more, head on over to casefuel.com slash podcast. Looking forward to catching up on the next episode.